Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad that you could join us on this 28th of December, year of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2022. And we are going to have some, um, well, I was going to say fun. I don't know if fun is, is the right word. I titled yesterday's video something like uh, Going Where Angels Fear to Trod. And I really think I should have saved that title for today. Because uh, we are getting into some scary territory. Uh, I expect over time to see some, um, uh, to receive some some of the trolling and some of the the opposition that so often comes when you take on an issue like uh, what women are allowed to do and not to do in the church. So we're going to do that. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Keith, and to the rest of you. Uh, before we jump into that, I want to give you another plug for our church history course that's coming up starting on Monday. If you are unfamiliar with New Covenant School of Theology, we train people in biblical theology, New Covenant theology, and I would encourage you to consider taking this course. It's a church history from the Reformation to the present, and we take a deep dive into Roman Catholicism, which laid the foundation for so much of what other churches believe today and so many of the theological presuppositions of Catholicism continue to impact the church today. And this series that we're doing right now here in these live streams, uh, dealing with the traditional model of the church versus what the Bible actually teaches, one of the reasons it is so hard to pull people back to the scripture is because the influence of Catholicism is still so strong in many circles. So anyway, we talk about Catholicism and then how that led to the Reformation and Lutheranism and Anglicanism and Wesleyanism, all the other isms coming out of the Reformation all the way down to our present day and why we have so many different denominations and independent churches and the theological traditions, all of that. So go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org. And if you're a new student, click apply. We'll get your application. We'll turn it around quickly and uh, and get you approved. You can audit or you can take for credit if you want to join the MDiv program or the Certificate of Biblical Theology program. If you're a returning student, just hit on the, uh, the tab courses and you can sign up there. Anyway, uh, this is always a great class. People learn so much. I've been told over the years, so check that out if you want to learn more about church history. All right, so I've avoided the topic long enough. <laughs> So we're in uh, 1 Timothy 2, looking at the church, and I want to remind you of uh, something here. Paul tells us why he wrote this book of 1 Timothy. And again, we're not going verse by verse through every aspect of 1 Timothy. I'm trying to grab the big picture items for what we're to be as the church. Uh, but we have slowed down here in chapter 2 because, uh, well, we, we just had to. But I want to remind you of what Paul said was the reason he wrote 1 Timothy. Remember this? I'm writing these things to you. So Paul says, I'm writing to you, Timothy, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. This is how we are to live in God's family. That's the point. 
this household of God. That's a that's a term that has uh, more to do with the the family dynamic than the organization that we call the church. The household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And I'm going to say it again. I've been saying it over and over and over again. The church is neither a meeting nor a meeting place. The church is the household of God. That's what Paul calls it right here. The household, not the house in terms of a building, not a meeting that starts with some priestly dude uh, giving us a call to worship and ends with the benediction. That's not the church. The church is the household of God, the, the pillar and support of the truth. So Paul is saying to Timothy, I want to come to you, but in case I'm delayed, I want you to know how we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to live in God's household. So that's the purpose. So let's get back then to chapter two that we're looking at. Paul says, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So how are we to live as men in God's household? Pray. And he started chapter two with uh, pray for everybody, pray for kings, pray for those in authority so that we can have peace and so on. I want men to pray. I want women to dress a certain way, not with braided hair and gold and costly garments, that kind of thing, but rather I want women to dress, quote, dress with good works. This is to be the attire of women, good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. See, our, our behavior matters. Our attitudes matter. When men come together and pray, we're not to be angry not to be pugnacious, not to be the kind of men that, that are holding up grudges, holding grudges and, and, and having great uh, ire in our, in our thoughts and our minds, but, but hold up holy hands. And when women come together, there to be women who are uh, covered in good works. So that's what people see, not the, the outward cosmetics and so on. Then he says this, we talked about this yesterday, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. So women are to learn in the household of God, but they're to do it quietly and submissively. Their attitude is to be one of submission to authority and quietly. And again, we talked yesterday how this word quiet doesn't mean <clears throat> speechless. Does it mean a, it's not a gag order here? <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, you could argue there's a gag order in 1 Corinthians 14, and maybe we'll talk about that sometime, but here the word quiet does not mean never speaking. Again, it's an attitude. We looked at that yesterday, so you can check out yesterday's video if you want to uh, follow more on that. All right, so that brings us to verse 12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet. Same word there, quiet. Have a, an attitude of quietness and restful peacefulness as opposed to uh, exercising authority and teaching. All right. So we have to deal with a couple things here. First, Paul says, I do not allow or I do not permit. Now, we live in a day where feminism is 
well, it's, it's won the day in the culture, and it's won the day in many churches. And one of the things that feminists love to do is pounce on this. And who does Paul think he is uh, that he doesn't allow women to teach? Obviously, Paul is a misogynist. Obviously, Paul hates women. He must have had a rough childhood or some woman scorned him, whatever. You, know, you, you hear all the stuff. Or the argument just is, yes, in that day, in that culture, because it was inappropriate for women to teach and have authority, uh, Paul says, I don't allow it because that's the cultural thing. But now in 21st century America, for instance, uh, women can do anything a man can do. Therefore, this doesn't apply. Well, none of that is sound reasoning. Paul says, I don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over man. And when Paul says this, he is speaking as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. He is giving this instruction to Timothy as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Messiah. Jesus is king of all kings. He is Lord of all lords. After the resurrection, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority is that? How much authority does Jesus have after the resurrection? He has all of it. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling over heaven and earth, crushing his enemies. Psalm 110 and multiple quotes of that in the New Testament. Jesus is your king. Whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're a regular listener or you stumbled upon this, Jesus Christ is your king. You didn't get to choose it. He's not an elected official. Every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. And either you'll do it now willingly and receive all the benefits of submitting to Jesus, or you'll do it down the road when you are compelled to do it, and then you'll suffer the consequences of not having done it sooner. Jesus is your king. And King Jesus sent men who are called apostles. He sent them out in the first century with his authority transferred to them to teach and instruct, to punish. If you remember the apostle Peter pronounced the sudden death of Ananias and Sapphira because they had the audacity to lie to the Holy Spirit. Struck them dead. That's because Peter was an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Paul is an apostle or was an apostle of the Lord Jesus. So when he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, he's not speaking merely as a first century guy who had an opinion. He said earlier in chapter two, I was sent as an apostle. So when we argue with Paul and demean and belittle his instruction, we are belittling and demeaning the instruction of the Lord Jesus himself. So you discard Paul's instructions at risk of your own peril because you're defying 
the king of all kings. So don't let anybody persuade you that Paul isn't authoritative here for the church. He absolutely is. So he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, and this is a strong adversative. Again, this is one of those places that, that knowing Greek would help. There's a couple different words for but, for the disjunction but. One of them is day, which is common, ordinary, like our English word but. And then there's one, Allah, which is rather. It's a stronger adversative. I do not allow, so he's saying not this. I, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, rather than that, she used to remain quiet. To teach or to learn, yes, but not to teach or have authority. Remember, this is the household of God. So women are not to teach. They're not to have authority over men. They're not to teach men or have authority. We know they are to teach. How do we know that the women are to teach in the church? Somebody in the comments here, tell me. How do we know that women are called to teach other Christians? Let me give you a minute. I know there's a little delay here and uh, see if anybody of you understand what I'm getting at there. Well, I see our time is flying already. So let me, <laughs> I'm assuming somebody's going to answer this. We, Paul says the same, the same apostle tells Titus, instruct the older women to teach younger women. So women do have a teaching role in the church. Older women, mature Christian women are to teach younger Christian women to, yes, Stan got it, to teach younger women to love their husbands and submit to them, to love their children, to be workers at home, and so on. So we know that that is required. Okay, so why, Paul? Why is it not acceptable in the church for women to teach men and to have authority over men? It's very important to see his rationale. It has nothing to do with culture. It has nothing to do with what's going on in his day. He goes all the way back to the beginning. For, see that? For, that is explanatory. That is Paul giving the justification for what he just said. For, for this cause, for this reason, this is, this is why. It was Adam who was first literally formed then Eve. See that? Paul is saying, as he looks at the scripture and God's design, Adam was formed first, then Eve. That's the first explanation he gives here for why a woman is not allowed to teach or have authority over man. Because Adam was made first, the man was made first, then Eve. This is God's created order. And we see this again and again and again in the scripture. Husbands are the head of their wife. If you are a husband, you are the head, you are the authority over your wife. You don't get to choose to be that. 
Jesus chose you to be that. I didn't choose to be the head of my wife. God put me in that role. And headship is a position of authority. It's not just leadership. We talk about leadership. That that term has lost its meaning. and It's been completely eviscerated with this idea of servant leadership. That's That's an oxymoronic statement. No, husbands are the heads of their wives. If you're a husband, you're the head of your wife. You are responsible to rule over your wife as Christ rules over the church, Ephesians 5. I didn't choose that. You didn't choose it. God chose it. You're either a good head or a bad head. But if you're a a husband, you're the head of your wife. And the wife is called to submit to the husband as the church submits to Christ. That's God's design. There's a reason why the apostles were men. They are sent with authority over the church. This is why elders are to be men. Because elders have authority in the church. And the feminists come flying in. Well, what about Deborah? Well, what about Deborah? Have there been exceptions to everything God established? Of course there have. We've got to become better thinkers than this. The problem is we don't think and we don't submit to the word of God. We continue to rebel against it. There's always exceptions. Was divorce acceptable to God in the beginning? No. Yet for hundreds and hundreds of years, it was legal. Remember that interchange between Jesus and the Pharisees? Or was it uh, whoever it was, the, the Jewish leaders there? They're trying to make Jesus pick a side. Why did Moses give a certificate of divorce in the law? It was legal to get divorced in the Old Covenant. And Jesus said, well, it's because of the hardness of your hearts. But in the beginning, it was not this way. God made an exception in the law. Same thing with polygamy. It was not illegal. It was not violating God's law in the Old Covenant to have more than one wife. But Jesus says, in the beginning, it was a male and a female coming together. Who did Cain marry? Obviously, he married his sister. It was the only option. And yet, later on, we see this is this was abhorrent to God for a man to take his sister as his wife, in the Old Covenant at least. There are exceptions. The exceptions do not overturn the clear instruction. We have to be better thinkers than this. God's order is that the in positions of authority, it's the man over the woman. That's what he says. Adam was created first, then Eve, therefore... It's not okay, it's not acceptable in the church for a woman to teach men or to have authority over men. Someone brought up yesterday uh, Aquila and Priscilla and mentioned that Priscilla is mentioned first, which as I you know, tried to say, so what? Uh, that, that's irrelevant. That doesn't mean that Priscilla had authority over Aquila or anybody else. Now, did she play a role in the instruction of Apollos? I think so. I think that's the clear indication there but it wasn't an authoritative thing. My daughters teach me things. My wife teaches me things. I've learned plenty from women. The teaching here is not simply passing on information. Teaching 
in the way it's used most of the time in the New Testament is a it's an authoritative role. It's it's teaching as one with authority. How many times did were the uh, the Jews impressed with Jesus? He taught as one having authority. That, that's the idea here. So it's not that there's no room for a woman to pass information on to a man, but to be in a position where there are consequences if you don't heed the teaching, that kind of thing. There's, there, that's why he uses this term authority. Uh, these, are, these are almost parallel statements. Not quite, but almost. Teaching here with authority, having authority over man. You see the difference? If I read a book by a Christian woman and I learn something, <laughs> does that mean she's violated this because she taught me? Or I've violated this by learning from her? No. But a book that I pick up that a woman wrote, that has no authority over me. The second one is even harder. And talk about calling out the <laughs> calling out the dogs to eat me alive here. So the first rationale, the first reason given for a woman not to teach or have authority over a man is Adam was created first. Then he says, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression or disobedience. Now, what question does that raise in your mind? I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man because it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, the one who was deceived, became disobedient. Since the woman was deceived and fell into disobedience, she, women, may not teach or have authority over a man. What does that tell you? I'm curious. What, what do you think? What is the heart of this statement about Eve being deceived and falling into transgression that, pro, that is used now as justification to say women cannot teach and have authority over men in the church? Anybody? Anybody? Well, I'm seeing if uh, anybody, I'm going to look, look at the lawn statement here. Uh, Betsy Price, welcome. I don't think we've ever met before. Good to see your comment there. Uh, Lon says, do you regard the points made by women, not questions, in your co-ed discussions as teaching men? Yeah, so I probably already answered that, right? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, as long as their attitude is respectful and uh, their, their position is, uh, is one of, of submission, absolutely. We, we allow women to teach not teach, sorry, whoop, strike that. We allow women to speak, to ask questions, and even share their insights. But if, and just practically speaking, if there are strong men, those of you who are married know how this works in your marriage as well. When a man takes on his role as he should, everybody in the family knows dad is the head of this household. When that is established, he does not have to go around trumpeting his headship. And that actually frees the children, frees the wife 
to be all that she is made to be and not try to fight for and clamor for that headship because everybody knows he's the head. Well, the same thing happens in the church. When you have strong male leaders, women are free to be everything God has gifted women to be. And nobody thinks, "Uh uh-oh, she's wearing the pants in this church, so to speak. No, everybody, everybody knows that. So I, whether it's my personality, whatever, when I'm teaching in that, in our, in our church gathering, people respond to me as the one teaching with authority. So even when sort of stronger willed, stronger voiced women say things and ask questions, everyone looks to me then to see how I'm going to respond to that. And I don't have to go around throwing weight. Like I'm, I'm the boss around here. It, 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 if we had men standing up to, if we had men standing up in the way God has designed us to in the home and the church, so many of these issues would go away and it's just, it's not a big deal. So I hope, hope that answers your question. Uh, Stan says, it seems Paul is trying to restrain deception. Women are more prone. That's a bold statement to make these days, my friend. It certainly seems like the point, doesn't it? And I think there's other scripture to back that up. We all have our weaknesses. Again, why does Paul say to men, pray, lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension? Because men are more prone to wrath and dissension. We can get very angry very quickly and we can fight and we can divide and check our brains at the door and just go and try to destroy things. Why are women called out here? Why is Eve called out here? Because women are more prone to deception. Doesn't mean no men are prone to deception. Doesn't mean every woman is prone to deception. Uh, there are exceptions to things, but generally speaking, it seems to be the case. We can, we can debate about why Paul says this, but the truth is one of the pieces of rationale that Paul uses for why women are not to have authority over men in the church is because he was deceived. Now, Mike asked the question, who sinned, Adam or Eve? Uh, well, both. Obviously, they're both cursed. Right? God pronounces judgment on both. I, I don't know if you're getting to Romans 5, but Romans 5 there, and this is a very important argument for why uh, the man is the head of the woman. Romans 5, Paul says, because Adam sinned, death has come to all men even though Eve is the one who sinned first. Uh, That goes to male representative headship. It wasn't Eve's sin, even though in time and space, it was the first one. It wasn't Eve's sin that condemned mankind. It was Adam's. I think, again, that goes back to the, Adam was sent, he was put in the garden to be the head and protector of the garden. So uh, if that's where you're going there, uh, Mike, we had that discussion another time. I did a whole 
series on Romans 7 and Galatians 5, getting into all that. All right, folks. Uh, so that leads us, our time is up. That leads us to this very interesting statement after pointing out that the woman was deceived and fell into transgression. Paul says, but women will be literally saved. The NAS here translates it preserved, but they're doing some interpreting here, not translating. The word is the same word used everywhere else in the New Testament for salvation. Women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So obviously all a woman needs to do to get saved is have a baby. <laughs> is that what he means? Stay tuned. Come back tomorrow and we'll talk about it. All right, friends, time is up. We will see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Have a great Wednesday. Take care.